You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Costa Rica on a short-term mission trip. While I was there, I had the chance to sit down and have coffee with a guy named Will. Will was a professor at the Methodist Seminary there in San Jose, and during the course of our conversation, I learned a lot of things about what church life was like, what ministry was like, what the culture was like, what it what it, what it was like to be a pastor there, no surprise, it's very different than what it is like for us here. Two things that Will told me stuck with me with particular force that day, and one of them was this. He said, if you go to church in Costa Rica, you are more likely, or most likely, to encounter an emphasis or a focus on the person, the work, the experience of the Holy Spirit. In contrast to, in the U.S., you are more likely to encounter a focus on the person and the work of Jesus. So that's one of the differences between Central American Christianity and North American Christianity. North Americans tend to focus on, you show up and all you hear about is Jesus, and in Central America, all you hear about, or mostly the emphasis is on, the Holy Spirit. And that's not to say that North Americans don't talk about the Holy Spirit, we do. It's not to say that Central Americans don't talk about Jesus. They do. It's a matter of emphasis. It's kind of a focus there. Like, where does the emphasis land? The conversation stuck with me, and I've wondered as a result over the years since, this was several years back now, are we missing something in the way that we do church? Are the grooves that we run in so deep and so established that we are missing out on something that God wants to do in our midst? Do we lack something? And what can we learn from believers in other parts of the world who see something maybe we don't see? Who want to invite us not to ignore Jesus, we would never do that, but to expand our vision a bit on how the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is at work for our salvation, start to finish, every bit of it. And I was reflecting on that this week as I was working through this text, because Galatians 3 itself is very, very much focused on the work of the Spirit. Paul asked the question, how did you receive the Spirit? And are you so now quickly turning from the Spirit and, and taking some sort of self-sufficient control or looking for salvation or the continuing work of God in some other fashion? Like where you, you're walking away, you're doing something else. His focus is on the presence of the Spirit from the beginning of the life of a believer through the duration of the life of the believer. And so I thought it might be helpful to spend some time reflecting on the fact that we don't necessarily run in those grooves normally. And there are other believers who might say to us, hey, you should pay a little more attention to what the Holy Spirit's up to. And when we come to these texts, maybe we can put that out front and really emphasize and ask the question, what does the Spirit of God want to do 
in light of what we find in Scripture here today. And there's something in particular that Paul wants the Galatians to be attentive to and to wrestle with. He wants you and me to be attentive to this and to wrestle with it as well. And this is what it is for Paul, for us, for the Galatians, for believers everywhere, North America, Central America, America, anywhere, only the Spirit can finish what only the Spirit begins. There's no shifting gears mid-course. There's no, like, let's try a different method. When it comes to the work of God in our life, it is begun by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carries it forward. And if it is going to be finished, it's only finished by the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit can finish what only the Spirit begins. So let's remember the context. Paul is writing to the Galatians because of the presence of someone he calls agitators. Who has agitated you? Who has unsettled you? Who has, who has caused this conflict, this division, this shaking among you? And what's the conflict over? We've been reading through this text, but we'll refresh our memories just a little bit. It's a conflict over circumcision and who has to be circumcised. Now again, we've already observed been in church for a long time now. You have too. Chances are you haven't run into a board meeting where a motion came up and someone's like, hey, I make a motion. All the new members get circumcised. Like that's, that's not a conflict that we're really doing in the 21st century, but it was an issue in the first century. And it was an issue in the first century because early Christianity grew, out of, grew up in, within Judaism. And if you know your Judaism very well, if you know your Old Testament very well, Circumcision was a mark of, of the family. Like, this is how you know who's a part of the family. This is how you know who belongs to the people of God, to Israel. And so the conflict wasn't so much over whether Jewish people should take on this covenant mark. It was whether non-Jewish people, when they start following Jesus, should take on the covenant mark. And you can imagine how difficult that might be for the PR department in your local church. So the suggestion by the agitators is, hey, it's cool. We're fine for the non-Jewish Gentile nations to be a part of the movement. That happened. Like, like that's not necessarily new. There were non-Jewish people who became worshipers of the Jewish God, the Creator God, the one God, before Jesus showed up. But they always took the covenant mark and offered themselves to obey the covenant documents, the Ten Commandments and the other 500 some odd of them. Food laws, offerings, things like that. So the question arises now, as this unprecedented number of non-Jewish Gentiles are coming in, do they, like, if they receive the Spirit, like if, they, like if God shows them favor, do they have to take the covenant mark, circumcision? And some people say yes, and some people say no. The agitators in Galatia say yes. Paul enthusiastically, emphatically, and with multiple exclamation points says no. The question is why, poor Paul. Why is that? He's cool, like if you're Jewish, you're going to be circumcised, eighth day, that's typical, no question about that. That's not the conflict. The question is whether or not the nations have to take the mark of the, mark of the Israelites. Okay? So Paul makes this argument. 
And the argument is based on the presence of the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit? Like, if we're going to ask, like, what, how we identify covenant members, if we're going to ask, like, how do we know who's in the family, Abraham's family, the Moses people, the Jewish, like, the tribes, the, how do we know? Paul says, let's look at how God relates to us. And when the gospel came to Galatia, just like in other places, Paul shows up, he starts preaching. He says in the first chapter of Thessalonians, he's like, I remember when I showed up, I got to town, started talking about the gospel, and the gospel came to you. Not with words only. We know what words only sounds like, right? Like we're talking before service, or maybe after the service a little bit, we're chatting about you know, something that happened yesterday, or a game, or, or, or maybe where we went to eat. And those are like normal stories, words only. Paul says the gospel comes not with words only, but with the Holy Spirit, with conviction, with power. So when the gospel is preached, like when I stand up here and preach the gospel, whether I'm feeling energized or not, I trust that the Holy Spirit's at work. When you're sitting around with your kids and you're around the dinner table and you're saying, no, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He offered himself so that our sins could be forgiven. We could be brought into God's family. Like that's what he did. It's not words only. The Holy Spirit is at work. It may not be super obvious right away. It may not be like, let's all just get on our knees and have an altar call right here in the living room every time. But the persevering, ongoing Every day we're talking to our kids about the gospel or I'm at, I'm at work with a colleague who's got a question or maybe I'm having lunch with somebody. When the gospel is spoken, the Spirit shows up. That's why we talk a lot about the gospel because we like it when the Spirit shows up. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, the gospel came not with words only but with the Spirit, with conviction. So like all of a sudden my sin is more obvious to me than it wasn't and with power, power to regenerate, power to give new life, power to forgive sins, power to reconcile us to God. And so we can begin to see, like, Jesus saves us. Jesus' blood washes away our sin. Paul says at the end of the text, we read that he became a curse for us. The consequences of my sin fell on him. The curse of all of my judgment and condemnation, he took it upon himself. Why? Because he loves me. He did it. He's the only one who could do it. He does it fully. He does it sufficiently. He does it perfectly. There is no deficiency in the person of Jesus or in the work of Jesus. How do I get involved in that? Paul says when the gospel is preached, the Spirit takes the work of Jesus and applies it to your life. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What's the work that the Spirit begins? He takes the work of Jesus, the atonement, the redemption, the forgiveness, the justification, the I love you more than you can imagine, and He takes it and wraps it around my life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He applies everything that Jesus accomplishes to us. How did you receive the Spirit then? Is it by doing the works of the Lord? Because that's the question, right? Hey, you better go get circumcised. Like, when you were doing the ritual, is that how you got the Spirit? No. How'd you get the Spirit? When the gospel is preached, 
You believe it? That's the work of the Spirit. Trusting Him, that, that allegiance, that self-givingness. That's how the Spirit shows up. So Paul says, like, if the Spirit shows up, they're in. There's no ritual. There's no requirement. Beyond, like, the only thing beyond that, if the Spirit shows up and applies the work of Jesus to the life of a person, it does not matter what ethnicity they are, whether they are Jewish or something else. It does not matter what ritual they have been through, whether it's circumcision or something else. It doesn't, like that's not the thing that God is responding to or, or, or acting on. He initiates union with us through the gospel. Notice that starts outside of me, doesn't it? Like, I don't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be a Christian today. No, somebody shows up, and God initiates a process through them. Doesn't it? it doesn't begin with me. It begins away from me, outside of me, when someone preaches the gospel, whether it's a Sunday school teacher or a parent or a preacher or whoever, a book, And the Spirit is at work in that process. The Spirit begins the process. And Paul's point here is that if the Spirit begins it, there's only one way for it to come to completion. You don't switch courses after you receive the Spirit. You don't switch methods after you receive the Spirit. He says that is actually quite dangerous. Only the Spirit can finish what only the Spirit begins consider the movement of your life paul says he substantiates the argument by looking at abraham he says this should be pretty obvious take a look at abraham before he's circumcised way before moses gets the law way before food requirements way before any of the expectations later god calls abraham who's a basically a gentile he, he doesn't live in the promised land. He lives over in modern-day Iraq. And he probably worships pagan gods like his neighbors. And the one God calls him. He says, come on. And Paul says, this is actually a, a preaching of the gospel beforehand. I want to use you and your family to bless all the nations. I'm going to pick you, and you're going to be my instrument for the flourishing, the blessing of all the families of the earth, all the nations. Abraham's not Jewish. He's not an Israelite. He's not circumcised. He doesn't have any food laws. He doesn't have any other, none of that stuff. He's a pagan who worships other false gods. And God says, I want to use you to bless all the families of the earth. And what does he do? He trusts God. Now, it's important to remember, trusting God is not some sort of a manufactured effort or work. Like, if I trust God, I'm saying, I'm not saying, hey, I'm going to, like, you contribute something and I'll contribute my faith. I got this big bucket of faith over here and I'm going to pitch that in and, and your grace and my faith and that's just a, that's a great deal, isn't it? And we'll just, I can contribute that. That's not how God relates to us, is it? When we talk about faith and when we talk, talk about trust, it's more like I'm saying to God, I don't have what it takes. <laughs> like, 
You want me to be, for Abraham, you want me to be your instrument for the flourishing of all the families of the earth? I don't even have a family myself. My kid, I don't, like, I can't, my, me and my wife can't have a baby. Like, we don't have what it takes. We got nothing to offer this. How are you going to do that? We got nothing. And God says, that's what I need. Nothing from you. I'll supply everything. You trust me. And Abraham says, okay, I trust. His trust, his faith is him saying, not here's what I'll contribute, but I can't contribute anything. I, like I got nothing to give you. And when we talk about trusting Jesus, when we talk about faith in Jesus, it's not like I'm saying, all right, I'm going to believe harder. I'm going to believe harder so God will love me. I'm going I'm to believe. I'm going to trust him. And, and maybe God doesn't love me because I'm not believing hard enough. And sometimes you watch preachers on TV and it sounds that way, doesn't it? Your life's a wreck because you don't have enough faith. And that's a false gospel because faith isn't about getting anything. I mean, Paul had a lot of faith. His life was a wreck too. Like read 2 Corinthians. It was a mess. It was a big mess. Shipwrecks, beatings, floggings, imprisonments, all kinds of crazy stuff. Faith is saying, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, only you can do this. Like if I'm going to be rescued, if I'm going to be forgiven, if I'm going to be saved, if my life is going to change, if I'm going to be regenerated, born again, I can't do it. I trust you to do something for me that I cannot do for myself. And here's the thing, friends, and this is kind of where it connects from ancient conflicts we don't really have to places where we are today in North America. It's really hard for a lot of us to say, help me. Isn't it? We are do-it-yourself kinds of people, aren't we? And if we don't know how to do it ourselves, there's a YouTube video. And I may tear it up even worse than it was to begin with, but I'm going to tear it up myself. Because that's how we are, isn't it? It's funny because it's true. It's a cultural thing for us. Like, we are fix-it people. Maybe it's different in other parts of the country. At least in Alabama, we are fix-it people, aren't we? Like I, will, like, I can handle this. I will fix it. Just this week, I had an issue. I called Josh for help. Guess what he did? He fixed it. Guess how I felt? I should fix it. I had to apologize for not being grateful. He was overwhelmingly generous. Let me fix, let me help you. I was like, I wanted a little bit of help, but not that much. And that's a problem with me. Like, that's so, like, that's sinful. It's sinful to not be able to say, I'll trust you to do this for me. Thank you. And I wonder if that's where we can kind of start connecting the dots. Because if there's a small thing in my life that I don't want to trust somebody else with, <laughs> how hesitant am I going to be to trust Jesus with everything? Like, I'll show up for church, <laughs> and I'll go to a Bible study, and I'll even serve sometimes. And everybody will know I'm a good Christian. But do I trust? Do I really trust Jesus? Do I really trust the Spirit to be at work in me 20 years later, 25 years later, 40 years later, making, it, making me able 
to say, I don't have what it takes. Because here's the thing, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I think I have what it takes. I've been preaching for almost 18 years. I've been to school. I can read a little Greek. And Jesus says, you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. Apart from my spirit that I give you, all of that is useless to me. All of it. Your experience, apart from the spirit, I'm not interested. Knowledge, certifications, licenses, apart from the gift and the power of the spirit in your life, Jesus says it's a distraction. And that's why he picked people like Peter who didn't have any degrees. And when they showed up in Jerusalem, everybody's like, wait a second. He didn't graduate from school like we did. And yet thousands of people are flocking to Jesus because the Spirit showed up. Notice how all through the Bible, the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. It's not like the Spirit's saying, here I am, believe in me. The Spirit is this manifestation of the other-oriented, self-giving love of God. Here's Jesus. Let me take his life and his love and his blood and his broken body and everything that he is and all that he has, the Spirit says, and let me, let me wrap you up with it. No one else can do that. No one else can start it. No one else can finish it. And it's incredibly easy and a massive temptation for all of us who have started with the Spirit and walked with Him for some time to get to a point in our life where we begin to take control. I can do this myself. I don't need someone else. I don't need the church. I don't need a Sunday school. I don't need a band group. I don't need a discipleship group. I don't need a sermon. I don't need a quiet time. I don't need, I can do this. I can make it. I have the strength. I have the power. And the Spirit says, no, you don't. No, you don't. And sometimes we have to find out the hard way. <laughs> we don't have what it takes. Sometimes we have to find out the hard way. We don't have what it takes. Only the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do these things. And the Spirit's desire, the Spirit's desire is to work in us from the start and to work in us more deeply. Today, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade. The Holy Spirit understands that we are all long-term projects. He gets that. And He is with us. And will stay with us. Because He loves us. And He longs to take everything that Jesus is and saturate every aspect of our being. With Jesus... The danger shows up when we kind of say, uh-uh, I got this. I got this. Like we say that all the time. Sometimes it's appropriate, never in relation to the Holy Spirit. 
I don't got this. I don't have what it takes. I can't pull it off. I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the power. I don't have the skills. Paul says, if you want to run it that way, to the Galatians, if you want to like start with the Spirit and change course to the law, he says, right? Circumcision, food laws, all the, the rituals. He says, like, there's kind of two big spheres. You've got the Spirit and the life, like the life that comes through the Spirit, and then you've got law and curse. And if you withdraw yourself from the Spirit and try to take control of this and, 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 and give yourself to the law, to, this, to these other methods, is that, that's the realm of the curse. That's outside the grace of Jesus. That's outside the work of Jesus. The Spirit wants to wrap you up in Jesus, and you're saying, no thanks, I'm fine. Paul doesn't want to see that for them, and he doesn't want to see that for us. It's not going to take the same form. Like, nobody's going to go and pass that, try to make a motion at the board like we said about circumcision. Like, that's not the issue. I worry that our issues are far more subtle. Whether it's self-sufficiency, I got this, or complacency, eh, it's fine. But in each instance, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you don't, want, you don't have what it takes, and don't slide into some sort of complacent, I'm ticking my Christian boxes. It's fine. I'm okay. Paul says, Jesus, like, like that's the realm of the curse. And Jesus took the curse. And he took it on himself. And he received every consequence that he required for it. Why? Because he loves us. This is the one Paul calls in Galatians, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so if we want to combat these temptations to sort of take control or maybe even just sort of ignore the work of the Spirit, like I'm fine, I can handle this, it's, it's kind of an active control taking or a more passive, just I'm going to chill. In each instance, Paul wants us to be offered to the Spirit so the Spirit can offer us Jesus. To wrap our lives in from start to finish. So, how do we respond to a text like this? How do we respond to a text like this? The Spirit offers us unparalleled beauty in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the life of the triune God. Unparalleled beauty in the self-giving love of Jesus. The Spirit says, I can apply that to you. I can give that to you. So our response is, our response may look like blinders on a horse. Only Jesus. The Holy Spirit 
has his hands by my face. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's how you get from the start to the finish. So I wonder as we sing and spend a little time praying if uh, our response together could be Jesus, I've, I've tried to be in control. Spirit, I've tried to be in control. I've tried to wrestle control away from you. Or I've, honestly, I've gotten complacent. Like, I don't really care who's in control. I'm in cruise control, and I'm just ticking my Christian boxes. I show up at church sometimes, and I go to Bible study occasionally. I don't want to get distracted one way or the other. Won't you, Holy Spirit, give me a single focus on the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Only Jesus. We don't go to the altar every Sunday. I'm going to go today. That's where I'm going to pray. Because sometimes the physical act of needling is a beautiful reminder of only Jesus. Like when you're on your knees, you don't have any power. You are at the complete mercy of the one to whom you kneel. For better or worse. Thanks be to God. With Jesus, it's always better. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.